Welcome back to the Big Sparkcast, the podcast where we have big conversations. Religion. Some would argue that what unifies us can also so quickly divide us. And if we zero in on religions as organizations, we must also consider how individuals align with institutional thinking and approaches. How do their leaders lead effectively? What role do they play in ensuring equity and inclusion across communities? How do they tackle divides and polarization and how do they shape the future of religion in society? Today I'm sitting down with Rogers Govinda, Dean of Manchester within the Church of England. Rogers is a fourth generation South African of South Indian ancestry and was the first person of color to be elected as a dean within the Church of England. He is passionate about promoting diversity in society and was in recognition of his role in the city of Manchester and his interfaith work awarded an MBE in the 2018 Queen's New Year Honours list. Rogers can I ask with a very broad question something I'm sure you get asked all the time and something I know is also very close to your heart um before we even start to talk talk about you know your personal life journey i want to wanted to was to start about what is the role of faith and church in society and hear it from your perspective well um i believe that uh that the church uh with the big c which means you know the global church or the national church as well as the local church or the small c if you like uh have a very important part to play in society um and of course i am a priest in the church of england and the church of england in this in this land is the established church established by law and so we we play a very influential role in shaping uh, english society and of course the church of england and the anglican church to which i belong is a global movement it's called the anglican communion so we have links with 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 countries beyond the uk and so our influence in shaping uh, ethics shaping policy shaping uh, uh, the way we understand life and the way we relate to one another is 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 very important to us and um we we have a very pivotal role to play in the way all of that happens Uh, faith is a very important dimension simply because i'm one of those who believes that every person does have a faith and maybe it might be faith in the trees and not god but you have a faith this faith is something of of a compass it's it 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 leads us somewhere and we find our strength and energy and inspiration from somewhere from some source and so faith enables us to 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 do that and so faith and in, in my case faith in in terms of faith in god uh, makes a huge difference in the way uh, i and the church uh, approaches life and and death and and whatever else exists in between right right rogers thank you very much for that thank you have you seen this change over the years because you have been involved in this for for you know more than more than a couple of decades have you seen the the this shift you know 
what what you kind of you know portrayed to be the role of faith in in church and society i think uh, you probably find that uh, the shift that you talk about is a bit like a pendulum really it kind of swings to and fro so my background is south africa i'm a south african indian if you want to call it that i'm i come from south indian ancestry my great grandfather was from from madras I come out of the 1860 uh, Indian settlers movement uh, to Africa during the the, the British uh, colonial government in India, and um, and growing up in Africa, uh, keeping in mind that Africa was South Africa was an oppressed nation, so we fought very hard to liberate people of color from the white regime and oppression and discrimination and so on. So in South Africa, the church played a huge role in the liberation of that of my country. Um, somebody like Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of Cape Town, led the struggle against racism and apartheid. Uh, so the church and faith was very prominent, was very central to the liberation struggle. Uh, in this country, uh, faith and the Christian faith in particular I'm thinking about as as shaped this land as since time immemorial. Um, the 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 impact of faith and the influence of faith in this country has kind of struggled a little bit. It has waned a little bit, as simply because interest in religious faith has has dwindled over the decades. Uh, as and and it, it tends to happen around the world. The wealthier we, we get, the more secular we get. And, and religion and God and all of that tends to take a bit of a back seat. But that does not sort of stop the church in its, in its hierarchical form from continuing to have a say in the way society is shaped. So the shift has kind of been to and fro, but I would say it's still very strong even in the United Kingdom today. How interesting, Rogers, and I will want to come back to this when you talked about how when human, you know, um, conditions improve, their allegiance to, to faith and um, faith institutions evolve. That, that's a very interesting thing. I've never really thought about it that way. So I will come back to that. But I just wanted to ask you something about the, the power of religion. And maybe, you know, you may want to pick it up from what you just said. You know, the power of religion the power that religion has to bring us all together. But historically, Rogers, it is also one of the things that's divided mankind, you know, both at a local and, and global scale. I mean, how do you see this, Rogers? What responsibility do religious organizations have to ensure that, you know, societies don't get divided on religious grounds? Is that something that, that you know, you're, something you, that you think about? It's a very important question, and yes, and I think about it all the time. I think um, I believe that religion and religious leaders, uh, one of our prime tasks is to bring people together. We are called to be bridge builders. Uh, We are networkers. We help join the dots together. That's largely our calling, Um, simply because, you know, for a society to live uh, to, to flourish, uh, people need to be living at peace with one another and living in harmony. Now, religion that just does divide, you're quite right. So, for instance, in America at present, you've got the religious right 
And then you've got others like me who are more liberal lefties. Um, you know, we tend to be the religious right uh, in, in the States. Uh, the ultra-conservative Christians have divided America. Um, and very, it's very interesting. It's often divided against, divided along uh, party political lines, um, not exclusively, but mostly. Um, so religion has often divided uh, societies, countries, nations. But of course, uh, we speak about religion as Christians. I mean, in India at the moment, I mean, there's a far-right Hindus. Who are, who are really um, on a collision course with, with the Christian minority and with the Muslim minority. Um, so religion there, religion of a different sort is, is causing major, major divisions in, in our motherland. Um, and I'm, but, but, and, but I think religion ought to bring people together. Let me just say one other thing. We learned this very in, in, in a very sharp way in South Africa. Remember, South Africa was a very divided nation, divided mostly along the lines of race. Uh, the four dominant races, white, uh, Indian, colored, and, and black African, those four communities largely divided. And during the political struggle, Desmond Tutu uh, was very firm that people like myself who are religious leaders should not, should not get involved in party politics. They don't mean that we don't get involved in politics. We do get involved in politics in so far as politics involves things like issues of justice, equality, inclusion, discrimination, and violence, gender violence, and and so on. Um, but at the same time, we should not publicly take a stance with siding with one political party or another. That stance which is based on the principles of justice and equality, is, 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 is what makes us available to all and sundry. Um, so we, we can't be co-opted by a political party. We can stand for justice. And I think people in divided societies can work with that. We know that sometimes we might, we might support this group. On another occasion, we might support that group because they... They're, they're, they may be standing for what is right and, and just. So I think that's very important for religious leaders because when there's conflict and when there are serious divisions um, in society, religious leaders like myself can then approach different parties and bring them together for a conversation to discuss and work through what the issue, what the struggles are. Rogers, you just mentioned conversations. Um, so I just want to pick up on that because I'm sure conversations play such a big part in your life and in, in the role of the institution that you're a part of. What are, Rogers, some of the tough conversations that are happening, you know, in the church at the moment? Or what are some of the tough conversations that you are a part of at the moment, given what's happening in the world? Yes, yeah, some of the tough conversations we are having in the Church of England um, it's certainly around human sexuality, the, 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 the exclusion by the church officially of, of men and women who, and, uh, who, are, who are gay, as well as transsexuals. Uh, so there's deep division on the whole issue of human sexuality. Uh, we're also having very difficult conversations around racism within the church. 
Um, and of course, these issues are, some of these issues are prevalent in society at large, not just the church, but, but racism has picked up uh, momentum, well, anti-racism has picked up momentum since the, the, the murder of George Floyd in 2020. Uh, so, so those are the big difficult conversations we are having. The other ones, um, the other sort of difficult conversations hover around poverty and wealth, around around climate change, certainly, where we have got some big targets to meet and, you know, finding the resources to meet those targets. Uh, the other issue is, is equality in terms of gender equality. It's a major difficult conversation that we are having. Um, and, and, and I would say some of the other issues uh, regarding, uh, you know, um, how we how we shape society. At the moment, some of the thing that nobody's really talking about quite explicitly, either in the church or even in society, we dare not talk about the possibility that we might be uh, sort of uh, sleepwalking into World War Three. Uh, I mean, there are those who say we're already in World War Three. Uh, it's a low-intensity war, low, if you can use the word low, given that the people of Ukraine have, have lost thousands of people and the people of Russia have lost thousands of people in the conflict there. So all of those sort of issues, and I mean, climate change is a major one because, because countries are being affected in the north and the south. Um, you know, the, 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 the terrible floodings we've experienced here are a direct result of climate change. So, so these are some of the big issues that we are dealing with. Then I say one of the other difficult conversations we are having, and, and that, that has to do with the, with the impact of COVID on, on, on society, which, which and there's loads of things linked to COVID. For instance, issues of mental health and well-being, and also the issue of... Inequality, as you mentioned. Exactly, and also loneliness a major factor because people have been been they've been afraid to venture out are afraid to meet with people and so that's caused a great chasm between between families individuals institutions even religions and so there's a there's some some really big issues that we we are we are involved in at the moment yeah so rogers when something like this happens you know i was going to ask you the question but you said it yourself you know when when big global disruptions of the kind that you mentioned, like COVID, the pandemic, for example, or even the mur murder of George Floyd, you know, and with its, with its kind of effect all over the world. When something like that happens, how does that influence the church's role and responsibility um, in society? I mean, obviously it puts you at the, in the middle of these difficult conversations. But how else does it have an impact on the role of, a, of, of church in society, Rogers? I think, I think on a number of levels. The one, the one, the, the very basic level for me is about enabling conversation. So the, the role of a facilitator. I think, I think we must, we, we are called to facilitate the coming together of people. So I do a lot of interfaith work. Our role is to facilitate conversation. And I do all this interfaith work, bringing people of different faiths together so that we can learn from one another, learn about each other, and um, empower and educate one another uh, so that we can go back to our own cultural groups, our own religious groups, our own communities, and, 
and and be able to share some of the issues that we are debating and discussing ourselves. So I think facilitation is a very important role. The other the other role is 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 to be um, prophetic. Um, there are times when we've got to uh, stick our heads above the parapet. We've got to be willing to be courageous and uh, and be prepared to take the brickbats when they come as well, and and speak out when nobody else is 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 willing to speak out. In terms of poverty, for instance, in terms of discrimination, in terms of uh, our behaviour regarding uh, climate change, uh, uh, our, you know, reducing our carbon footprint, in terms of gender violence, in terms of of exploitation of the poor. Uh, and and so on, and and not just not just haranguing people or haranguing the church or the government, but also to also looking for solutions, um, helping people to find the third way, if you like. Uh, what's the third way to to go, to find answers and solutions rather than just being enveloped in anger? Where do you find that you have the most challenging conversation, particularly Rogers, with people who may not agree with you? You know, whether it's within the church or whether it's outside, because I think that is such a big challenge in society at the moment, isn't it? That kind of dealing with that polarization at all levels. So the, the most difficult bits of my work is the pushback I get from those who resist change and also those who are, who are nationalistic, who have a nationalistic mindset. And, and that could be, could be uh, and that's not not confined to people of any one culture or any one race or any one religion. It's across the board. You get conservative Hindus and conservative Muslims and conservative Christians who are not really keen on inclusion, for instance. And so that's where the pushback comes. Uh, I'm one of those who believes that God is a very generous, inclusive, hospitable God. That's my understanding of God as I read about God in the Bible. And so when I when I preach and practice inclusion at all levels, I do get pushback uh, from from people in my in my own church, even in my own cathedral, sometimes. And I would sit down and have some some and explain myself, explain my theological underpinning for my view and my practice, my belief. Uh, so and 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 you know, you don't mean that I write anybody off. I, I want to engage even with my with the, my detractors, um, but it is it is the pushback from from those who are not keen on an open, hospitable, uh, all welcoming kind of approach. That's where the difficulties mostly come. Yeah, gosh, that that sounds really hard, Rogers. Sounds really hard. How do you do that? How has your own? I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking because you told me about where you've come from your journey. You know, how has, to some extent, Rogers, your own journey or your own history helped you um, to do that? Or do you find it to be a challenge? I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that situation that you just described? I think uh, it's a bit like me saying earlier on that I should be non-party political. Although I vote for political parties, I exercise my democratic vote, but I, I don't go around saying I'm a supporter of this party or that party. And so I keep an open approach in that in the non-aligned sense. Um, and so I, I deal with it. I, I tell you an important word 
that not just a word, but something that I, a concept that I, I cottoned on to many, many decades ago when I was rector of a parish, of, as a parish priest in South Africa, when I, when I had people who are resistant to change, um, be, be it uh, inclusion, racial inclusion, or inclusion of different types of tradition in the church, or what have you. I've, I've, I've used the concept of experimentation. I'll often, I would often say to those who are pushing back, I would sort of speak, speak nicely to them and say, why don't we give this a chance and try it out for three months or six months? And, if it, and we'll evaluate it after six months. If it doesn't work, I promise you we'll go back to square one. But if it does work, then we'll have a conversation about how we continue. And nine out of ten, uh, that's won the day. We try things out. We've, we've agreed through mutual conversation and mutual agreement that we will experiment with something and try it out. And, and so that's the first thing. The other thing is I think um, people often resist change when they when you when 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 it's a kind of um, op, with, when the issue is on on a massive level on a global level when it involves loads and loads of money for instance they say how can you achieve this and I'm going to remind them we talked about faith earlier on I'm going to remind people that we are men and women of faith we believe in a God who can accomplish the impossible. So we're going to have faith in this God, and we're going to get out there and do it for God, and and that God will provide the resources. And I've I've done some major development in my cathedral, costing millions of pounds, and people have moaned at me saying, "Well, we don't know why are you doing this. Where are you going to get the money from?" And that was in 2007 when the crash came in 2008. But you know what? People, uh, people understood and and supported. People outside my cathedral uh, often provided the money and we accomplished some serious things. The other thing I would say, which is very, very important for me, I think a leader, any leader needs to have a vision. Without vision, no one's going to buy anything you're saying or, or trying to do. So my vision, and I say it unashamedly, is for a, for a church and for a society that is that is celebrating diversity at all diversity and inclusion at every level. That's my vision. It might sound a bit bland and a bit broad, and obviously within that broad vision, there are there are different way different aspects of diversity and inclusion that needs to happen. But I think you've got to have a vision. And when you meet people, when I meet somebody like you, I like to tell you what I believe in and what I'm out to accomplish. Some might say, well, that's your agenda, and that's right. My vision is my agenda. And, and that, that agenda is, becomes my compass, my direction. That's where I'm heading. And, and whatever I do is feeding that vision for an inclusive, diverse, uh, welcoming society or church. Right, right. Rogers, I want to pick up on that point of experimentation. I think it's such a powerful thing you've said. You know, we do a lot of work, in, in fact, with organizations, you know, businesses and um, other sectors also where we're talking about trying to build a culture of experimentation. The thing about that, that experimentation, Rogers, is actually getting people, I dare say, to take that leap of faith, isn't it? You know, take a risk, you know. What do you say to them to take that risk? You know, is it, is it 
are you building on trust, something that exists already? Or is it, you know, what is it about getting people to take that first step, knowing that there's risk involved? I think what you said about trust is very important. I'm making the broad assumption that a lot of a lot of most, if not all of the things I've said already, is is predicated on relationships. Uh, a leader can't be a leader unless he or she is also working hard on relationships. So I spend a lot of time loitering in the city of Manchester with leaders. When I get invited to a business lunch, I go. You know, if I get invited uh, to an award ceremony, I go. Because it's not just about the award ceremony that I'm interested in. I'm interested in who I'm going to meet there. And also, I want, and I go and my dog call if I go to an award ceremony. They know, oh, that's Rogers. He's the dean of Manchester. So I get known. And you know what happens very often? Then people say to me, Rogers, I'd like to come and talk to you about something that I would like to do. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I was invited to speak at uh, at an iftar at a local mosque about pre-COVID. And I went along and I spoke about um, diversity and inclusion and so on, my pet themes. And at the, the and of course, iftar means a meal afterwards. At the meal, I met, I met a man who's a professor at the university here. And he said to me, Rogers, I'd like to talk to you about a languages conference that I want to have. And I said, oh, brilliant. I mean, it's up my street because we got about 120 languages spoken in Manchester. And I said, yes, so we want to have a conference in your cathedral about celebrating the diversity of languages. So by me agreeing to go to the mosque speaking at the iftar, I'm, I was able to connect with them and his old, his old team at the university. And I ended up hosting, excuse me, hosting this event at the cathedral. And we were all, including myself, were enriched by this by this conference that that came to the cathedral about the languages and spoken in our city and in the world. Um, so 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 to so networking, loitering, building relationship uh, relationships is so very important. So um, because people know me in the city, um, they they will come to me and approach me. Uh, for for a raft of issues that they want to talk about, they want to have a gathering, they want to have an iftar, um, and all of that is because they know me. So relationships are very very crucial uh, if we're going to be good leaders. Uh, we can't expect to be sitting in an office at a desk all the time, playing in front of the computer, and expecting to be a great leader. People got to know you. No. Absolutely. And Rogers, you know, we were talking, we had a senior um, team meeting yesterday within Common Purpose itself, and we were talking about the importance of relationships at every level in the organization and how, you know, you talked about the disconnect around the pandemic and COVID, how that has really suffered, you know, that, that ability to reach out and build relationships and the opportunities to do it. It's something we've got to get, all of us have to get back, back to doing better again. Can I, can I ask you a question about something that's very close to my heart? Um, and I feel like I can ask you that, Rogers, because I know it's close to your heart too, about the role of people like yourselves, the role of institutions that you're a part of, when something big happens in a city. So I'm, what I'm thinking about, Rogers, is when, you know, like the 
terrorist attacks happened in Manchester, for example. And, and you know, we, we know that constantly in, in this country and indeed in other parts of the world, things happen in a city which cause such big disruption and turbulence in all our lives. Um, when something like that happens, the Manchester terrorist attacks, for example, what is the role of religion in communities at those times of stress and distress? And Rogers, how do you as a religious leader then create that space to have that conversation in times like this, like those when emotions are high, opinions are vocalized, you know, everything is so polarized around you. It must be so tough. Yes, I think you're very right. I think um, our role as leaders, and I'm speaking as a religious leader in particular, involves helping to manage the anxiety, the anger, and uh, even the grief of the community, and dare I say, the nation. Um, so you've asked a very important question. So during the Manchester Arena bombing in 2017, uh, when 22 people were killed down the road from my cathedral, um, the, the city was in turmoil. The anger was, was palpable. Uh, the, 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 the possibility of further violence from people against Muslims in particular was, was a real threat, a real, a real worry. Because the bomber was a Muslim, and 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 but all, but also because we built up such good interfaith relationships in the city, uh, religious leaders were able to come together in two takes, uh, in order to be in solidarity with one another, and 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 doing that publicly, and, and that sends a very important message out to the community. I want to take you back to the time when you were the UK's first black dean, you know, in this country, and. Perhaps, perhaps you didn't have some of the things that I know you have you 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 have consciously built over the years and 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 been able to effect change as a result of that. How did you at that time? Because you've talked about race, I want to bring this up. How did you at that time, Rogers, tackle big institutional mindsets and practices that perhaps did not align with yours because you were just different, you know? Very good. That's a very important question. So I'm going to take you back uh, to 1986. Yeah. So I was ordained in 1985, and uh, it was a state of emergency in South Africa at the time. And uh, I was I was a young uh, priest, um, very fired up against the government in in student politics. And politics as a parish priest, I, I, I grew up very conscious of racism, so I'm firmly anti, passionately anti-racist, and so on and so forth, um, anti-discrimination. And um, at that time, I was so I was so angry against white people in my country because of what they were doing to people of color, especially black people. And I said to my bishop when I was ordained. Bishop, when if you decide to ordain me, I, I'm definitely not going to a white church to train. I'm gonna, I want you to send me to 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 my own community, back to my own community. So I went to my went to an Indian church to do my initial training as an ordained, newly ordained priest, and that was in 1985, 86, um, 
and 87. And I was reflecting on, on, on my country at the time. And one day in my prayers and my reflections, I had to ask myself a very hard question. And that was, Rogers, if you're going to make change in the country for good, if you're going to, build, if you're going to contribute to a non-racial society, you can't stay in this Indian world. You've got to move out of there and, uh, and, 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 and join the broader community. That's when I went to the bishop and I said, Bishop, I've thought about this hard and long, and I'm now ready to do what, what, what I then call cross-cultural ministry as a priest. So long story short, the next year, 1988, I was posted to my first parish of my own, and it was a majority white mixed congregation. It wasn't an exclusive Indian congregation. And um, that enabled me to think on a bigger scale, to think beyond my own Indian culture and learn and experience white culture, colored culture, black culture. And, and, and basically the, the, the learning for me was I had to broaden my, my, the scope of my, my influence if I was going to make a difference. I had to get out of my own comfort zone and, and, and somebody's penned a very good few words along that, an American theologian whose name will come to me in a short while. He, he said, protest is good, alternatives are better. <clears throat> so I was in protest mode as a young priest, but I had to explore alternatives, otherwise we're not going to move forward. So when I, when, I, when I came to England sort of 15 years later, I came, as I said, you know, 22 years ago, so I've been ordained for about 37, 38 years now, you see. When I came to England 22 years ago, I was already sort of operating at a macro level back in South Africa. Um, you know, I was already beyond my own culture. Uh, and I was tackling big issues of racism. I was tackling landlords who were giving black, black people a rough time. I was tackling the police who were indiscriminately uh, arresting black, black, black friends of mine for no good reason and so on. So I was already operating at that level. And uh, so I was used to working with white people. Um, I guess you could call me um, um, somebody, um, I call myself multi, I'm sort of multicultural really. I've, I've moved beyond, I'm obviously Indian, I'm culturally and I'm, I'm Indian in every way, but I'm also um I'm also South African. I'm also non-racial. I'm also British. I'm really a, a son of the world. So basically, the white people that I was, I was working with, sent to work with as a dean, didn't bother me at all because I've, I've done that before. Um, and the other thing that that was very good was, you see, one of the things I've inherited from my father was courage. My father was a big six foot uh, four man, big burly fella. Unlike me, I'm not as big as him, but he was quite a fearless man. He never feared anybody. I think I inherited his courage, his fearlessness, and nobody, nobody scares me really. If I'm scared by somebody, that's going to be some serious intimidation. So I was not afraid of of difference of anybody who was different to me, and I wasn't afraid. I'm not afraid of you know the Lord Mayor and. I'm not afraid of the prime minister or whoever. I could speak to them as equals because 
because my sense of, of, of equality was honed in, in my fight for liberation in South Africa. I think the challenge often sometimes is, you know, given what one's identity is, sometimes it's the mindsets that we come across, isn't it? You know, um, you know given your huge wealth of experience and how you deliberately decided to operate and position yourself, sometimes the activities you can, you can deal with and counter, like you said, but it's the mindset that becomes hard, isn't it, Project? Absolutely. It's, it's very much, it's very much um, I mean, you know, we often struggle with self-esteem issues. And, and I think leaders have got to work very hard at self-esteem issues and, 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 and develop some certain qualities like, you know, a thick skull. And don't let everything get to you. Think on the, on the, on the, on the bigger, on the, in, think in terms of the bigger picture, the, the, the different at a higher level and the common good. And don't just think about yourself. And sometimes, you know, people upset you and hurt you. You just got to rise above that and see the bigger picture and and work on on that level. You know, for me, that's very important. Absolutely, absolutely. Can I ask you something about role of institutions, particularly when it comes in the way of um, almost challenging your own values? I was just in a similar conversation with someone very, very senior at a big multilateral institution, where I was saying, you know, you join the institution for a particular reason. And then when there's very clear criticism that, that that's directed towards that in- institution, but yet you also believe in it, but you also see the side that's not perfect. How do you then cope? So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Rogers, how do you respond to criticism let's say, around the church as an institution, and it sort of, in, in the eyes of some people, doesn't match up to modern times. You know, how do you shift thinking in big institutions like the church and find that balance between what it's set up for, its religious foundations, and the challenges of modern society? And you mentioned that as being a big issue around which challenging conversations are happening at the moment. I think it's very important if one's going to be an effective leader, and certainly a religious leader, that that one is very, I'm not talking about perfection and getting it right, entirely right, but one one needs to know one's theology, in my case. So I said in our conversation that I believe that God is a very generous, hospitable God. God who makes room for everybody. That's that's very implicit in my theology, the way I see the world, the way I behave and operate in the world at every level. So you've got to know your theology because your theology is the mindset that will inform how you how you lead. The other thing I would say is to avoid being overly defensive of the institution. I think I think when one becomes defensive, then you have to work out how to justify misdemeanors and, and the failures of, the, of an institution. I think very often, if one can acknowledge, actually, we are not a perfect institution. We actually, sadly, our church does exclude gay people from its full life. And I'm saddened by that. I work uh, towards full inclusion, but we fail. And secondly, to recognize that we don't have all the answers, but that we collectively can find wisdom with others, people of other faiths and non-faith, groups and communities and leaders. 
um, because wisdom is a collective thing. It's not one person uh, providing all the wisdom. I think when we speak in those terms, I think people want to listen to us. We've got to be humble. We've got to be humble in the way we see ourselves and the way we operate out in the world. And also as leaders to recognize that sometimes you're going to get it wrong too. But just what is your vision? What is the vision of someone like you for, let's say, a city and community of Manchester, you know, and what do you see that to be for someone like yourself and the church? I ask this not because I know how committed you are and and the amazing work that you've done, but cities are going through such turbulence at the moment. You know, we know what we're going through in the UK. So many UK cities are going through that and that's true the world over. You know, turbulence caused by a big disruption like the pandemic, turbulence caused by polarization, you know, where sometimes it's around faith, sometimes it's around other things. What is what is your vision, um, you know, representing both yourself, your brand and the brand of the church that you talked about uh, for Manchester? I think my vision for Manchester, and I think it will apply to any part of the UK, really is for a society, a city and a society that that is welcoming, hospitable and flourishing for all. And what I mean by that, I mean, when I say for all, that's very important because not everybody's going to be like us and believe like us. And we're going to make room for them too, in peace. And if we if we seek the flourishing of everybody, the human flourishing of everybody, then we'll seek the welfare of everybody. We'll be welcoming to everybody. Um, and, and I think that will create harmony and peaceful living. And we will celebrate everybody. So I think those words hospitable, uh, flourishing, and, 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 and living, at, living in peace together is, is, is but also, I'll add the word just, a, a just, um, flourishing, hospitable city, and a city where, where the poor and the marginalized are, have a special place um, because, because it's very easy for religious groups even because, we're, because you know, we're all dependent on the, on the funding from external sources. It's very, very tempting to just like wealthy people and people who've got money, people who, people who live in nice houses. But whilst we do that, we must also have equal, equal concern for people who don't live in nice houses and who live chaotic lives. And one of the hallmarks of a cathedral is that we often welcome very welcome people who come from very chaotic backgrounds. Um, they, they've fallen out of the local priest when they come to the cathedral and they can be a little bit anonymous. Uh, they've fallen out of the world and they become homeless. And they're in the city centre lying on a street. Um, you know, they, they've fallen out in the, with their families and they're now on drugs. And in as much as we, we, we can easily become judgmental, it's how do we make room for those on the edges? And a hospitable city will see that all people matter. That would be my vision. Yeah. Do you worry that it's becoming more challenging? Yes, I think we're becoming more polarized, yes. And, uh, and that is why... That is why the work of celebrating diversity, uh, training new leaders, exposing people to suffering and, to, and to, to communities, not just in this country, but abroad, 
where there's immense suffering in place, parts of India, Latin America, Africa, where people are eking out a living on nothing, really. How do you survive? God only knows. I think, I think exposing people, when I say educating, I mean educating through exper- experiential things like that, yeah. is, is, what, is what changes hearts and minds. My daughter Claire went to India some years ago on a on a youth program, and she she wrote me back from there. She was in Bangalore, way into the into the countryside in Bangalore, and she was living in a very poor community, building toilets, and sleeping out on the roof, open, you know, on the roof. And she said, "Dad, it is so uncomfortable. Yeah, I will never ever complain about comfort again." And and that you know it changed their life. So I think, you know, we need to be a society that's exposing us to the suffering of others so that we can learn the work of transformation. Thank you so much, Rogers, for joining us on this episode. This certainly won't be the last conversation we will have around faith and different religious perspectives. But it was great to start with Rogers, as he has played such a big role through the years in shifting perspectives and creating spaces for different and often underrepresented voices. As always, thank you to all of you, the listeners out there for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate us and leave us a review so that others can also easily find us.